any sort of creativity um, that taps into like something so innately human, um, something so descriptive about like the human condition is an essential part of being a physician to me. Hey everyone, welcome to the Medical Creative Podcast. My name is Austin Sellers. With me on this episode today is Dr. Scott Kobner. Scott is currently the chief resident at the LA County USC Department of Emergency Medicine. He's a soon-to-be fellow in emergency medicine with a focus on medical education and narrative medicine. Scott is also an extremely talented photographer who has had some of his work published in the LA Times. In this episode, we cover his background in what is seen as a traditionally creative outlet in photography and how that has translated to skills he uses in his practice in the emergency room. If you wish to see more of Scott's work, best place to find him is through his Instagram page, searching his name, Scott Kobner, K-O-B-N-E-R. Hope that you really enjoy this episode, and thanks again to Dr. Kobner. All right, so hello and welcome to another episode of the Medical Creative Podcast. Uh, with me today is Dr. Scott Kobner. He's now the chief resident, soon-to-be fellow in medical education at LAC USC. Um, just as a disclaimer, you know, none of what we're going to cover today should be taken as medical advice. If you're feeling sick, please contact your primary care physician. Um, it's always good to point that out ahead of time. So, Scott, how are you? Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing all right. How about you? I am hanging in there, enjoying some weather. Uh, it's been it's been a little warm down here. You were just telling me that it's envious weather in California. You know, it's it's bad that a couple days of rain is really uh, it can put some people off over there. So that's surprising. Hey, the whole monsoon season we're, we're passing out. That's right. You're you're set now. You've hit your quota for the year. Now everything's going to be all good. Exactly. Wonderful. Well. If you wouldn't mind just giving me a bit of a, a look into your path into medicine, you know, so what drew you first to medicine as a field and then emergency medicine on top of that, you know, were there any things, did you come in wanting to do EM or did, did that evolve over time? So just kind of set the scene for me a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I was a hundred percent, not one of those people that like, you know, from the day I was born, I wanted to be a doctor type backstory. Um, I came into an interest in medicine pretty late, actually, at some point in college. Um, and I say that late because there's, I feel like there's so many people that have been interested in medicine for so long before they start their like higher education. Um, there's no one really in my family uh, who's a physician or really like in healthcare. And so for me, um, it was really kind of a path of discovery throughout the experiences I had in college. Um, I went to Emory in Atlanta. And while I was there, I like started off thinking I was gonna do like a dual major in neuroscience and philosophy um, because I had a lot of interest in philosophy and ethics and like a lot of humanities-based courses. Um, but I just really love science uh, all throughout high school and it's something that I knew wanted to be a huge part of my future. And then I ended up kind of like falling in love with everything that I did in college. And um, really the, the big turning point for me was someone recommended that I try out. Uh, Emory has like this Emory EMS service as a volunteer, the college EMS service. And I kind of got like hooked right away into doing that. Um, and became at the time, like Georgia had this EMT intermediate designation. So you can like start an IV and give some like basic medications, but you couldn't do everything that a paramedic could. And so um, Emory offered a training program in that, and then I got to work on that service for a number of years, as well as get experiences throughout Atlanta with some of the other EMS organizations. Um, and that really kind of cemented my interest in medicine, because at the same time, I was doing a lot of like basic science research. I was working in a primate lab, actually, 
uh, working on some malaria stuff. I spent a summer doing some gene therapy stuff. And I realized that while I loved all the science behind that, I really cared about the interaction with people and patients and kind of being in that role of a healthcare provider um, and seeing an immediate impact of like the application of science and the work that I was doing elsewhere rather than like a long payoff. Um, you know, I'm not somebody who has a lot of money like sitting on long-term stocks. You know, I like that immediate kind of satisfaction of helping somebody. Um, and then I applied to med school after, you know, figuring a lot of that stuff out. I applied like really late in the game and I was very fortunate to get into NYU. And I tried to keep an open mind when I entered med school because I really knew my only experience in medicine was like going to my primary care doctor and doing all this EMS work. And I knew there was a lot of other fields that I hadn't even begun to consider. Um, but in all honesty, uh, emergency medicine just kind of like had won my heart. And um, no matter the experiences I had elsewhere, no matter how interested I thought I was in them, anytime I returned to the emergency department, it really felt like home. Uh, so that's how I ended up choosing that specialty more or less um, and for a bunch of other reasons. But, you know, when you're on like the medicine service or whatever on your surgical service and everyone else at like 5 p.m. is rolling their eyes and sighing because it's like a new admission, right, is about your, to go home and that's the case you're most excited about because it's like someone new to talk to and it hasn't been figured out 100% yet. Um, that's kind of like when I knew going to the specialty that's constantly seeing new undifferentiated patients was for me. Um, but yeah, and then um, came out here to LA County to do my residency and it's, it's been like the experience of my life. That's incredible. You know, as you were talking, it, it kind of reminded me, a friend of mine said when she was applying or thinking about medicine, you know, there wasn't one big aha moment of this changed my life. This is where I knew I was going to become a doctor. There were several little moments and it sounds like, you know, in, in listening to you talk, there were a lot of those little things that led up to, oh, I could see myself doing this. You know, it's nice to have, I guess it's a blessing and a curse to have interests and passions in everything that you do because it's hard to really narrow things down. But, you know, to me, at least that's what I got out of hearing that is several things kind of led you to the doorstep of, yeah, this medicine thing could work out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I definitely did not have a big aha moment. And I think finding one of the, you know, people always give like these, like whatever tropes about whether or not you should go into medicine. And one of the things is like, if you could see yourself doing anything else, then do that and don't do medicine. <laughs> it's advice that I got at some point along the way, which I think is terrible advice. But um, I truly felt like it was the one thing that all these other outside interests in, in, in captured in some way all those little things that could be possible in a career in medicine. That is super, super cool. So I know that um, just in getting to know you and, and looking at everything, you are an amazing photographer. Um, is that something that you had been doing prior to even going to Emory or did that kind of develop over time? When did your passion for photography or, you know, a creative outlet, when did that really start? How has that, you know, evolved over time? Yeah, thanks. Um, I feel like I've always had some kind of creative outlet throughout, like even starting in high school, like photography in particular, I probably I started to get really interested in it in my senior year of high school and kind of had like a, like an ebb and flow type relationship with photography over that time. Because for a period, I mean, I was really into music and like recording and um, did a lot of video stuff with a few good friends of mine. Um, one of which is like full-time now pursuing a career in you know filmmaking and also music production and so for me i 
always really enjoyed that creative space to have a way of expressing myself and to try to figure out how to inspire others to feel some of the things that I was feeling or, or kind of have experiences that, that I had had. Um, and I think it took a while to figure out that photography was probably like the medium that best suited who I was and I could most easily express myself through. Uh, so in high school, I really started taking pictures because I worked on like the school yearbook and I, I really loved doing that. And then I got into street photography some point in college and then throughout med school in New York, it was like a, a playground for me, um, getting to go outside and there's always like amazing and wonderful things happening. And then towards the end of med school, I started getting into more like analog processes and over the past like years here in Los Angeles, I've been working a lot in that space and trying out a lot of different like traditional dark room approaches. So it's been, it's been a really great ride. Yeah. I was going to say heading to school in New York, I'm sure that that was, you know, you couldn't pick a better place if you had an interest in photography or being out in, you know, in the world, um, finding subjects or topics to take pictures of. That seems like the place to be or one of the places to be for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, that's the, the only downside I think to living in Los Angeles is, is that it's not New York from that sense. Yeah. Um, and it's, you have to work a little bit more to, to find scenes and people to take photos. of. Sure. That makes sense. So, you know, having that creative drive heading into college, then into medical school, now, you know, into a residency and fellowship, do you think that that, is there any part of that that has steered your decision-making? Like, do you think that that has helped you in medicine? Do you feel like that's been something that shapes the way you view your day-to-day? Um, you know, what, are you very cognizant of that moving forward and, and seeing patients? That's a great question. I mean, I think um, the, the more I go um, down my like medical career, I become more cognizant of it and think about it a lot more. Um, I just like applied for a master's in narrative medicine. And I think making it more of a, um, I would say a, a more predictable part of my clinical care. Maybe that's a better term or including like a creative thought process more like openly and objectively into the medical care that I provide is as a goal of mine because it can be improved and kind of honed into like a, a skill that's shareable with other people. But I think the creative, any, any sort of creativity um, that taps into like something so innately human, um, something so descriptive about like the human condition is an essential part of being a physician to me. And whether that creative outlet is like making music, photography, maybe like doodling, whatever. The the idea that you have a sense of empathy that then you try to express through some body of work or so through some thing that you do um, that helps to capture that feeling and honor that feeling. And it also gives you the ability to be um, observant uh, in a way that maybe a more analytical mind is not. Um, it's I think it's just so important to any career in healthcare, but specifically to being a physician. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, that's really the the basis of like the field in medicine is to just be there with another person through human suffering. And I think creative like expression, like any form of art is basically that. It's a recognition of some part of the human condition, some kind of like human suffering in some way, and just sitting there with it and to understand it in like an objective way um, through that subjective expression. So I think there's like something really beautiful about that. And it's been empowering, I think, um, in the background for me this entire time through this entire journey. 
because I think it's uh, enabled me to not be like afraid of like difficult conversations in medicine or like having relationships with patients that go beyond like what you might be taught in like, you know, your standardized patient OSCE um, and to just be comfortable being a human being in the hospital um, and with patients um, and kind of giving my entire self to the thing that I'm doing and being open to receive like what other, what, whatever humanity is going to throw my way. Yeah. You know, I think I probably need to put you on the payroll for how you just described what you did, because that's essentially the focus of this podcast. I mean, one of the things that I think folks that head into medicine can get very caught up in is this idea of, you know, oh, I have my set of differentials for this patient and I have this checklist or this, you know, these five things to get done if someone comes in with, let's say, sepsis. And in a lot of ways, you can boil people down into, you know, charts or flow sheets and you lose that human touch. So I think what you said about retaining humanity within medicine, especially in the lens of creativity, it feels like that's the way that people can break out of this very um, regimented, formal type, you know, education system and practice. So yeah, that was beautifully said, because in a lot of ways, that's what the goal of this podcast is, is how can we spark creativity in others that are practicing medicine and might be stuck in this rut of yeah, you know, things are going fine. I've, I'm going into work. You know, it's just a groundhog day type situation. Yeah. And I think, well, I mean, in part, I think like the trajectory of a career in medicine, like in, like in all time is kind of like parabolic in that sense where, you know, like it started off, you know, a bunch of people in togas. Uh, we have no idea what's wrong with you, but we'll just sit and talk to you and be very like observant and like, you know, like all those like Hippocratic le lessons about just like being with the patient and trying to understand their story. And then, you know, like you have like the age of Osler where that's still a huge part, right? Of the practice of medicine is like, listen to the patient, be there with them to better understand like what they're going through. And then I think we're now in the age where, cause we have so many tools and sciences evolved so quickly that we've kind of uh, de-emphasized that critically important part of the, the whole, the whole gig, you know? that you're just actually there to help somebody through their suffering. And that's the, the creative and human part and replaced it with that, like top five differentials. Here's the chart you can be boiled down to. Um, but I think as technology continues to advance, that's going to be such a meaningless part of our job. Actually, when you have like a AI that can help you create a differential or, you know, right now, like you have every potential medical resource at the touch of your fingers. So how many like facts, you know, about the human body is totally irrelevant. I think to being a physician, today. Um, and what's going to really define your ability to care for other people is to kind of go back to that relationship that existed before that people perfected before that involves that humanistic and creative side. Um, so I think what you're doing is like more important now than ever, because I think we're, we're still on the upslope of that problem where, you know, technology hasn't totally like made our, uh, our clinical thinking less relevant, but I think certainly in my career and lifetime, that's going to happen. We'll be riding the, the downslope of how many differentials you need to know or like how, how great you are at interpreting a set of labs. Yeah, that, that takes it back to a book that I'm reading now called Extreme Ownership. And in it, they talk about, you know, discipline. Discipline affords freedom. You know, the more regimented you can be, then that kind of, that aspect of it falls into autopilot and you can operate creatively or think outside the box because you can fall back on your training and how everything works. So 
And something you mentioned before that I don't want to stray too far from because I'm really interested. You said you're getting a master's in narrative medicine. So mm-hmm. what what the heck is that? How did you get involved in that? Yeah. Um, narrative medicine is really exciting. It's, it's a fairly new field, I'd say, like, in the last, like, 20 years. I mean, new in the sense that it's been, like, a practice reintroduced to medicine. But I think that the basic principles of narrative medicine go, are like the foundational principles of medicine. And it's the idea that if you can apply um, like our typical storytelling techniques and our typical analysis of like literature or other great stories or other works of art to a patient's history or the clinical practice of medicine, um, you can get a more robust and um, human-centered form of healthcare, essentially. Um, and so it's about like reading a novel to better appreciate like the fine details that Nabokov like used to describe something so that when a patient is telling you about you know the dyspnea that they have from their heart failure like you can appreciate all the intricate details of their story and help to abstract what they're saying into a meaningful solution for that person Um, and the, the other side of it is sort of being open to expressing those narratives in in an educational way too and to inspiring others um, to kind of go back to that like most basic form of medicine that's just sharing and receiving stories and how to help a patient continue to author their own story and what role you play in it. It feels like that might go hand in hand with your photography background. I mean, being able to convey a message through a photo, being able to, you know, write the narrative or try and convey what someone is going through seems like in a lot of ways, those things work very synergistically one to the next. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly my hope. I think uh, up until this point, um, most of the like stuff that's been discussed about narrative medicine in, in a more like public space has been very liter- literature focused. But I do think there's a huge opportunity for kind of photojournalism or documentary photography to fit into that narrative um, and to provide a story and pictures. Yeah. yeah. So in your photography background you said that things kind of evolved over time when you moved from Atlanta up to New York you know you you got interested in being outside you know landscape type photography and and having human subjects um how what have you found drives those interests you know how do you find I'm sure it's a tricky question but how are you able to find a subject that you would be interested in or something that piques your piques your interest, piques your eye that you want to convey? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, huh. I think that, you know, most of the time, I think that the, the easiest situation is like just being out um, on the street or somewhere that you're just trying to tell like a short, a short story in like maybe one photo or two photos of a person or, or something when you're out taking like some street photography um, work. And for me, it's almost always like seeing somebody and just like something about them is like, this is like an interesting character. This person just like something about them. I'm like visually drawn to. Um, and I think in the sense where I'm just going out to, to document something visual about like the time or place I'm in. And I'm not trying to document like a larger story or an event. Like I think doing more like photojournalistic work is a little bit different source of inspiration. Um, but for just like purely like, visual i'm i'm out on the street here and i'm i'm looking to say like what's happening in los angeles so like right now uh, it's almost always people are what drives my inspiration um whether it's somebody with like a particularly interesting face or 
has chosen to dress himself in a, an interesting way, like what, what does that say about who they are and their relationship to the world around them? Um, it's almost always like uh, how, how I get driven to take photos of them or to like find the scene that they're in. Um, in the more like photojournalist or documentary work, I think a lot of it comes from um, the experiences, at least driven by the experiences of the people that I'm around. Uh, and so sometimes that's, you know, hearing stories from patients or coworkers about like something that's going on in the community, um, something that they're personally struggling with, or something that I've personally struggled with or experienced, uh, or something that I don't really understand. And I, I'm trying to understand it so that maybe others can understand it too. And that's, that's kind of what draws me into those spaces and telling those stories and trying to do as do justice to those stories and get a full appreciation for what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's up because there's like a balance in, in the work. Cause I would say like 90% of the time it's driven by, um, a desire to like tell a story about something that's going on. And there's a 10% that's purely like aesthetic and, some of the work that I'll do is just because I think it, it like visually looks beautiful to me, or I want yeah. to see if I can use a different technique or express an emotion in just like a, a purely like medium based way. Sure. Do Do you think that that's evolved over time since you've become more involved in medicine? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think um, they kind of, especially for like the street photography work that I like to do go hand in hand because it's, it's very intimidating when starting out to just go on the street in like New York and take pictures of people, you know, that you don't know. Um, and I think like, and especially when you're not the kind of work that I like to do, I'm not trying to be like uh, sneaky about it. You know, like I use a, a fairly short focal length. I try to be right in the middle of the scene in the environment with the subject I'm taking a photo of. It's very obvious that I'm taking a picture of this person. Um, and as much as, you know, like I am a New Yorker as much as I love New Yorkers, uh, not known for being like the kindest people on earth, you know? Um, and so it's, it can be super intimidating sometimes to throw yourself into those situations, especially if it's like a very emotional one, like someone's in a shouting match with somebody else and you, you try to take a photo of that. Um, and so getting over that anxiety of approaching people or performing like, you know, something that I consider part of like my job, if I'm doing like street photography or documentary work, um, goes hand in hand with a job as a physician in a number of ways, but I think the most obvious is just kind of getting past that initial anxiety of being in that role. Like, hey, I'm a total stranger to you. And within this brief intersection of time, I'm a photographer taking a picture of something that's going on in your life. Or in this brief moment, I'm gonna be your physician on like the worst day of your life. And we're gonna have like a short, but very like intimate relationship um, that hopefully, you know, like if I do my job right, I'll never see you again, you know? Um, so I, I think they've definitely, as I've become like more confident in my role as a physician and met, you know, thousands of patients that way or had to like lead teams of doctors and nurses. And um, it's definitely made it way easier to like talk to random people on the street or, or be involved in um, more complicated social situations on taking photos. Yeah, you know, I didn't even piece together that really in both of those roles, you are interacting with people in very vulnerable situations. Like, you know, medicine isn't exactly the most comfortable thing to have someone say, hey, I'm sick, I need you to help me. You know, that's, that's a very vulnerable position to be in. And then in photography, you know, there's some people that might not want or might not be thinking that that's a moment in their life that they want to be shared or expressed. And I think in a lot of ways, yeah, they, 
building a skill in one can only serve to help the other, seems like. Uh, yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, I think that's just even on like the superficial level. And the more you dive into it, um, I think they're so complementary um, just on the basis of like, you know, physically observing the world around you and being like cognizant of really important small details, you know, like um, I can't tell you how many times just noticing something on like a physical exam or like how a patient was dressed or, or something that's really helped put together uh, a case in like the emergency department where, you know, sometimes information is super limited. And so you really try to take everything that you can get in your interaction with another person to help solve the problem that they're having. Um, and, you know, when you're out looking through the lens of a camera, like even like the small flash of light that kind of catches somebody's shirt that can draw your eye and make a, a beautiful scene unfold um, is the same thing that like helps you notice, um, you know, like, hey, actually, like, let's take a better look at those fingernails or, you know, like, why is somebody who's like, you know, says that they work with their hands every single day and their mechanic have like the smoothest skin on their hands that you know, it's like, oh, it's they have a connective tissue disorder or so, something along yeah. the, those lines. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting and so funny to hear you talk about your art the way you do. When I was interviewing um, Dan Dworkis a couple weeks ago, he, he said, you know, a lot of the photos that he takes, they are personal reminders for him. You know, it's a moment in time. It's something that someone observing from the outside might not necessarily get or might not understand, but it seems like you're very cognizant of wanting to convey a message. And you think about how others might view your work, perceive your work, whether it's out in the street, in the hospital, you know, whatever the subject is, there is a story to be told in that. So is that fair to say? I mean, at least in talking up until this point, you seem very aware of the fact that others are consuming this as art, as something creative, as a story to be told. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think I, I mean, I, if anyone ever looks at any photo that I've taken, I feel incredibly like grateful and humble. Like I, I expect every picture I've ever taken to just like find its resting place in the shoebox under my bed, you know, and not really anyone take a look at it. Um, but I do think about making photographs, especially from like, if I'm doing like, like I said, like documentary or photojournalistic work is what is the story that's going on here? And am I like being honest and truthful about it? And is the way I'm visually representing what's going on going to convey that reality to, um, to whoever looks at this, uh, in the future, you know, cause I think there is a, especially with photography, cause there's like such a narrative authority with a photograph that, you know, like when we see a picture, we believe it's real. You know, we accept that as a representation of reality. When the first instinct you have when you look at a painting or a drawing or a sculpture or a piece of music is that you already know that this is somebody's um, interpretation of a feeling or event or, or whatever the subject matter is. And it's been processed through the person. And we're less, I think the average person is less likely to think about how a photograph has been creatively processed by the photographer. Um, sure, now we can think about like the manipulation digitally of photos, but even details like how a person is lit or how they are like composed in a frame have like a huge impact on your emotional response to an image. Um, and so it is something I think about a lot because just changing the lighting on someone can make them go from being the hero to a villain in, in a photograph. And you have to be really cognizant and careful of doing that if you're trying to you know, portray anything about reality or at least your experience of that reality to others. 
Yeah, I mean, that's been the the blessing and the curse of Instagram for me or things similar to that is, you know, I I don't have the deepest background um, in photography growing up, but at the same time, just to like what you were talking about, you can throw a filter on something and it changes everything, you know? Mm-hmm. It, so, yeah, I think people are becoming more aware of the fact that we're putting out, in some instances, the best the best aspects of ourselves when trying to hide or at least diminish the, the worst, the, the rougher side of things, things that we yeah. don't want shown every day. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I, who wouldn't want to get rid of these like wrinkles on my forehead? <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, have you gotten feedback from either people online viewing your work folks that you've taken pictures of that have gone out to see it? Has there been any feedback or reaction that has surprised you or things that, you know, some of the work that you do is within the ER space. It's of a, you know, I think so many times whenever someone pulls back the veil of what a medical career looks like, um, people get very interested in that. That's why I think a lot of these shows on TV are so popular is because you're seeing something that in a lot of ways should not, should not, or hasn't been seen for a long time. So have you gotten some feedback that's been surprising to you or interesting from folks? Yeah, I mean, I love how you you kind of introduced that with the like should not or hasn't been seen for some time. Um, I like I, I have very um, not polarized views, but a very strong feelings about like the role of like photography and um, like visual expression in medicine, um, and even you know even written expression. But I think. Like, so like writing a reflection or a poem or, or something about your experience as a healthcare provider um, has less of a, I think, inherent like authority when it's like put in, in the public eye um, than a picture does. Um, and so I, during like COVID in publishing some of these photos that I've like taken throughout our time at LA County, I was really hesitant at first actually um, because I wasn't 100% sure how the public would respond to some of those things, especially with how politicized like a pandemic has become. Um, but ultimately I thought it was like, the most important thing that I could do in sharing the story of the people who I was working with and the patients that and the community that I was serving. Um, and the response has been like on both ends of the spectrum. Um, I still find myself like tearing up quite honestly like in my Instagram account, I get like direct messages from people who are struggling or have a family member that died or they're on their seventh back to back to back to back, like 12 hour ICU nursing shift. And they just don't know how to convey what they're going through and their patients are going through with their family members, but they're able to, you know, show them a picture that I took of what we were experiencing um, to help them to understand, uh, which has been um, so humbling to me to have that kind of response and reception and, and be able to communicate with people from around the world about this like shared experience of, you know, being a healthcare provider during this time or being a patient during this time. Um, and then of course to get the tool other end of the spectrum where, you know, uh, I've had people message me saying like, these are like staged, elaborately staged photographs that I have some kind of like sound set that I'm doing, you know, all of this work on. And, um, you know, it's part of the pandemic, which, uh, you know, it's heartbreaking, um, but also at least has opened a dialogue with some of those folks who feel that way. 
Um, and I think it's allowed me to connect with people who I otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to connect with at all. And hopefully, um, you know, they, they can see some of this work and it'll, it'll change their perception about, about what's going on. Um, and it'll at least open other conversations in their life. But yeah, the, it was really unexpected, the kind of like reception that my work online has gotten so far and the people that I've gotten the opportunity to speak with. It's been super powerful. It's got to be such an interesting feeling to be able to evoke that emotion, positive or negative, you know, in your day-to-day life. I'm sure it's made you appreciate the ER in a completely different way, knowing that the work you're doing can affect people so drastically, so differently. But regardless, it evokes powerful emotions. You know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways that's got to be very rewarding, but also a little bit terrifying. Definitely, hundred uh, percent. It's it is scary, and um, you know, I've always felt like with photography, like we were just talking about, like a great responsibility with like the medium and the the impact a picture can have. Um, just because I've been so personally impacted by so many different photographs in my life, uh, and having that kind of response really raises the stakes, um, and I definitely feel that pressure. Um, when I'm like looking over my work or choosing like what work to share with others and online uh, and wanting to, you know, there's a lot of like a lot of interest in brokers involved, you know, I think, you know, some work that is like, if I, I don't know, it's like shooting a story about like a taco truck, um, you know, the stakes are a little bit lower in how to represent that story and those people and um, the experiences that they're having and, and not in the sense that it's like not as like deeply meaningful or important. It's just that medicine and society have had such a bizarre relationship, I think in the last like 50 years or so in that, you know, the, the house of medicine has kind of like sequestered the human suffering to like, you know, these like facilities and impenetrable fortresses of hospitals when, you know, like, 70 years ago, people understood what it was like to die at home, to see someone really sick and suffer and like understood the physician as somebody who was like navigating like the realities of human life with other people. Um, and now, like you said before, the lay person's understanding of what goes on in medicine is like Grey's Anatomy or Scrubs when like there's like a 70%, you know, CPR success rate uh, and they don't understand like the realities of healthcare and the limitations of science and the fragility of human life and um, having the opportunity to share part of that space um, in a public way is like incredible and like I can't speak more positively about the support of like my department and hospital for allowing me to do that but the responsibility of like always upholding like the human dignity of the patients and the people that I, I have the opportunity of working with um, is like the number one objective, regardless of like what the story is, regardless of like what needs to be said. Um, because I think that that relationship between like that, that I carry over from like being a physician into being a photographer um, is like my, my primary driving factor in doing a lot of this work. Uh, so, so it's very challenging. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that you mention as COVID has evolved, as this pandemic has become such a reality for people, in a lot of ways, physician to patient interactions have changed, but also peer to peer within the medical community. I mean, before we hopped on, you were showing me the 
the fake news set that you do when you have, you know, grand rounds for your fellow residents. Do you think that your creative eye has helped to shape or positively impact the learning that's been done? I mean, everyone transitioning all of these lectures to Zoom or everything in more of an online format, I think was a bit of a rocky road to start with. But as people become more familiar with it, in a lot of ways, I think they're getting used to, you know, engaging in an academic way through an online medium, but ways to make it interesting and fun have got to be important. So do you think that that's played a role in, you know, both teaching your fellow residents, but also just the general communication day to day? Totally. Um, I think in emergency medicine in particular for like the past at least decade now, um, there's been a huge movement for like things like this, like podcasts and, you know, online open access medication, like foam and there's, you know, uh, it's become more and more like academically acceptable to engage in this work and seeing it as like academic productivity. And certainly like the generations of resident and med student learners are like fully embraced it. But I think up until COVID, there's still like the, the old guard, like the bah humbug, you know, like what is this like fandangled, like, you know, podcast thing that you kids are doing these days. And um, that I think has been a really positive thing of COVID because like when we no longer could go to like this antiquated like in-person conference and it was no longer like uh, easy to send people to like some medical library for whatever purpose, you know, if that's kind of the education environment you were, you were brought up in as a academician. Um, it's just empowered like younger people or people more creatively inclined to like audio visual mediums or, you know, um, producing like high quality podcasts and things to kind of, take over and get recognized as like a really valid contribution to education. Um, and, and so definitely, you know, and, and I think just as like you could be the most brilliant educator in the world and have so much to say about a topic, but if you are unable to share that with others in a meaningful way, you would be like a failure as like a teacher and mentor. I think having skills that allow you to make like um, Zoom more fun and interactive and, and high production quality, um, has enabled like our conference and the education that we experienced to, to be better because it, it's not just about the, the content of the message, it's about the delivery of the message too. Um, so that's been great to see people who are, uh, have skills in that kind of space or are excited to explore and develop skills that um, otherwise like you wouldn't be able to get like, you know, academic department support to like, yeah. you know, help get a green screen and like a camera crew together to now be taken very seriously. Right. And I, the wave of like research and stuff that's come already and will continue to grow from it, I think is awesome. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I think it provided such a drastic shift or the, it necessitated the evolution of a lot of this. And I think in a lot of ways it might be here to stay in certain aspects. I think other things might, you know, transition back to the way that they, the way they were. I sound like such an old person saying that, but because of this shift, do you think that your creative mind or passions that you've found, can you see them continuing to evolve with time? Do you think that this has provided an opportunity to really step back and say, hey, what am I doing well? What do I need to work on? What am I now passionate about that I wasn't before? You know, where do you see your creative mind, your... your um, contributions within the field. How do you see that evolving as time goes on? Yeah, um, I think for me, like I have in some way been involved with, you know, the free open access medical education for 
the better part of the last eight years or so. Um, and I've had a lot of time to see like even these minor evolutions occur. And I think all that's changed for me in the past like year now is that it's just opened opportunity and um, helped things that have been invested in the past gain a lot more traction and to kind of just expedite the like transition of education into this kind of space. Um, and I think with that added opportunity comes like more work to be done and like certainly more opportunities for like self growth and reflection and new skill sets to develop, you know, like I never thought I'd be like moderating a conference of like a hundred people on zoom every Thursday and kind of figuring out how to like be in this sort of weird talk show, whatever host type situation, uh, digitally. Um, and so that's been a great learning opportunity, but I think it's just provided like the, the ability to double down on my, like on my bet on like this being the future. Um, and validation for a lot of the contributions people in this field have been making for a long time because now the like the need and the value has just been so like openly and indisputably demonstrated I think to the academic world uh, it'll be I think really hard for things to ever kind of like slow down or go back to the way they were yeah so do you feel like there are some big high points let's say someone is just about to hop into medical school or headed into residency or they're, you know, junior faculty and they've got some interests in wanting to expand their mind creatively. You know, what are some, some takeaways from your story, your journey up to this point? What advice do you have for someone trying to either hone or develop a creative outlet while also navigating a career in medicine? Yeah. Um, I think it's important for someone out there who's like looking to, you know, do something quote unquote creative is to realize like that's like the, the broadest sense of the word is what they should like consider a creative outlet. And I have so many friends who are like, oh man, like I wish I like had something like photography or, you know, I just, you know, I just love rock climbing. And that's like totally a creative outlet that they just don't think of in that way, you know, like figuring out like a new path to take up a cliffside or to like innovate with how you're like tying your knots and to be like really passionate about that is such a creative outlet. So I think the first step is just like look in your own backyard and realize like what are the things I'm naturally just drawn to as a person um, and realizing like how you've just been expressing yourself kind of all along through those things because every single person has something like I just don't believe there is a, a person a human being that exists out there that's not creative in some way and um, some some shape or form and whether that's you are you know really love organizing your house in a certain way and you've got that whole like simple clean you know thing going on um or yeah you love like making marble sculptures in your basement um so just stop and think about like the hobbies that you have and how you've invested yourself into them and to recognize like your own creativity and then i think what's been really hard in medicine um, for me is that there you might be a lot of creative things that you're interested in pursuing and time is limited you know um, there's only so many things you can do in a day and realizing like where you want to invest that time and how your relationship with creative your creative outlet like is with the rest of your life like the balance that you want to achieve um, you know like I always joke like William Carlos Williams amazing poet no one ever talks about uh, being an amazing pediatrician Right. Like, uh, so like where you put your, your piggy bank coins into what bucket is important. Um, and 
for me, finding that balance has been like medicine, even though I love photography and it's like something that's will continue to drive and change my life. Uh, will always be like a super, super close second to being a great physician. And I think coming to terms with your relationship with your creative outlet or the other side thing that drives you is, is super important early on to help you put it in the perspective of your whole life. Um, and to not be afraid to let like parts of your life grow and develop in ways that you weren't expecting. You know, if tomorrow I got offered some magical opportunity to like travel the world and just be a documentary photographer for like, uh, you know, Nat Geo or something. Um, as amazing as that would sound, like I already know in my heart of hearts, I would turn that down because I, I'm drawn to being a physician more than anything else. But it's also, I think, okay to not turn that down if you have a creative venture inside or outside medicine and it takes hold and takes off, and you know? Um, and so I think, as your passion continues to grow, like doing continual like self check-ins with this other venture or creative outlet that you have. Um, and then I think the last thing is just not is being like unafraid to be messy and to like allow your, the personal aspects of your life and whether it's your creative outlet or your individuality, your personality, whatever, to just totally like splatter paint all over your white coat if you're in medicine. Um, because I think, the only way that you can be a good physician is to be who you are, you know, and to allow that to be fully expressed and actualized in the medicine that you practice. Um, and to not allow the system of education to kind of try to beat that out of you in a way. Um, and to try to like press and standardize you into like a nice little white coat package that can be deployed to any hospital in the world. Um, Cause like, that's not the person anyone wants to be. I don't know what else to say to that. That was beautiful. I think the one thing that I would add, and in hearing how you've spoken and in, in hearing your story up to this point, I think that there's beauty and value in conveying stories. And it seems like that has been a consistent thread in your life until this point. Is just don't be afraid to tell someone's story um, because a lot of people can benefit and value and find value in doing that. So I wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with me. This was amazing. So I really, truly do appreciate it. Um, thank you. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. It was really great. And uh, I love the podcast. So thanks for having me on. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Medical Creative Podcast. I wanted to thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all the feedback I've been getting. If you have comments or suggestions on folks that you'd like to see me interview on an episode, feel free to reach out to me either through my website, themedicalcreative.com, or by emailing me at themedicalcreative at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Hope you have a great day. And as always, stay creative. <laughs>